Uh, Lisa Hunt is a Catholic convert who has been serving in Catholic youth ministry since the beginning RCIA in 2005. Lisa has spoken at parishes and retreats all over Southern California. She holds a deep love for the church and is a vibrant, joyful witness to Christ's love. She's a sincere and authentic voice for faith in a world desperately seeking truth. As she has discerned her own vocation, Lisa has seen God work through her singleness and a powerful way to impact the lives of those whom God has placed in her path through ministry. She's currently the elementary coordinator at St. Martha's in Murrieta, California, where she runs the religious education program for over 700 students. So please help me welcome Lisa Hunt. All right, before we begin, start with a prayer, and then I'll introduce myself a little bit. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Hello, Jesus, guys, thank you for bringing us here tonight. I thank you uh, that in the busyness of our lives that we can take time out to just come and learn more about your love for us and the way that you want to help us to grow and become saints. I pray that you would just give us open hearts and minds and that any distractions that we're bringing here today, whether it's work or personal that you would just help us to leave those behind just for this next hour or so. I pray, pray, Blessed Mother, that you would come and just surround us with your mantle, that you would bring your, the angels and the saints with you to protect us and keep us on a path towards you. As we pray, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. All right, it's Carrie Sadden. My name is Lisa, and I actually live up in uh, Bonzel, which it's like, how many of you have heard of Fallbrook before? Okay, Fallbrook's a small town. Bonzel's a smaller town. Um, and so I live in Bonzel. I work in Marietta. That's where I came into the church. But after I became Catholic in 2005, I spent my first year, my first two years as a Catholic at San Diego State University. Uh, my first year as a Catholic was Father Anthony Soroki, if you know him, his first year as a Catholic priest. So it was a beautiful journey, and Carrie happened to work at the Newman Center as well. And so both of them had a very uh, big part in the beginning of my Catholic journey. I am here tonight to talk to you about encountering the living Jesus. And as I was praying through this, and I just, uh, it just brought me like the word living was the thing that like stood out to me, this living Jesus. And so I just want to talk to you a little bit about what does this idea mean? I did not grow up Catholic. I didn't grow up with any faith background. I would have told you that I knew who God was. I would have said that I was Christian. But I knew this like God that when I needed something, I asked him something. I knew he created things. I knew that, that I was here because of him. But to me, he was kind of like this, bo- this guy in the history book. Like he was there. He had done these things. And that's all. But the reality is, is as I came into my faith, I was a freshman at University of San Diego. And I went and I just wanted friends that were doing the same thing I was doing and those happened to be the Christians. So I became friends with these Christians. I went to their Bible studies. I kind of dove in and I just didn't really, I didn't believe in God. I didn't really understand what that meant. I just was like, I'll be like them so I can hang out. And the thing that just amazed me as I came into this faith, and I'm so thankful for my Protestant brothers and sisters because I honestly learned through that year that our God was a living God. 
He wasn't some, some God that wrote the Bible and then left, but he was a God who was still living, still breathing, still part of my life. I was, um, whenever I come down to San Diego, if I have time, I like to go to Founders Chapel. Uh, that was the first place where I met God. That was the first place where I knew of his beauty, and I didn't even know he was at the Eucharist at the time, but I knew that there was something special about Founders. And in Founders, the tabernacle, how many of you guys have been to Founders at USD? It's absolutely beautiful. And and I remember, like, rushing around campus, and I would, like, run to class so that I could get five minutes in the chapel and spend five minutes in prayer. And I went back just a year or two ago. I was meeting with my spiritual director, Father Martin, at the time, and I I ran in, and I was like, I'm just going to go see Jesus before I go. And as I knelt before the tabernacle, I realized how many hours I had spent there with the living God, not knowing that he was the living God. That I had spent time there not knowing why I felt called to be there, not knowing that the Eucharist was truly him, and yet that was really him. Um, This idea, though, of encountering the living God. I think that for those of us who have grew up Catholic or have been Catholic for a long time, we just kind of think, well, yeah, I do the right things. I go about my, my life. I'm a convert, so in the beginning, it was like constant encounter with Jesus. Like I was asking him constantly to, to touch my life and to grow me in my life. But then as I like kind of continued on, I'm going to be celebrating my 10th anniversary as a Catholic this May. And as I continued on, there were just times where I just stop focusing on that. I would forget. I'd get into the rituals of what I was doing. And I read Pope Francis's exhortation last year, the joy of the gospel. And I would just have like, my world was just rocked and turned upside down. And one of the things that Pope Francis said is being a Christian is not the result of an ethical choice or a lofty idea, but the encounter with an event a person which gives life a new horizon and a decisive direction. It's an encounter with an event and a person. And I think that we as Catholics, even if we're going on this journey, we go to all the theology on taps, we go to mass every Sunday, maybe we go during the, during the week, we're praying our rosary, we're doing all these things, but we forget that we're actually meeting a living God, that we're actually encountering a person. And I think that there's something to that, that we you know, people stereotype us Catholics, like, oh, you just, you know when to stand, you know when to kneel. You stand up, you kneel, you genuflect, and you have this, like, you know what to do. You pray the rosary, you don't even think about the words you're saying. And if you're like me, that happens to you all the time. You're halfway through a decade, and you realize you haven't even thought about the mystery yet. And you're going through, and you're just doing the routines. And the thing is that we as Catholics, that's true. So often we fall into that. We fall into the ritual Instead, though, of showing the Protestants that really we are so blessed because these routines, these rituals were put in place to help us encounter the living God. They weren't there just to be things for us to do, checklists to do. They were there to help us actually encounter this living God that the church knows and believes in and wants to lead us to. The thing, the way that this exhortation started, I was like, my friends were kind of dorks. My roommate, Jess, at the time, she, um, she's like this nerdy Catholic like I am. And so when something like the exhortation comes out, like we have it on our calendar, we're excited about it, we're talking about it, we can't wait to read it. Last year it came out, and I was working part-time as an assistant youth minister up in Irvine. And so I had a lot of time on my hands. 
And so I remember, like, waking up knowing, like, I'm going to just sit for hours and read the exhortation. Like, I just want to read it. I want to read Pope Francis' words. And I read it, and I read the first couple paragraphs, and I had to stop, and I closed my computer, and I had to put it away. Because I realized, like, I need to spend time on just these couple words. And he starts it with, I invite all Christians everywhere at this very moment to a renewed personal encounter with Jesus Christ or at least an openness to let him encounter them. At the time I was a youth minister, I was speaking about Jesus on a regular basis. I was telling people what they should do in their faith, helping guiding them. And as I read that, I realized that it had been months since I had asked God to have a personal encounter with him. It had been months since I had said, Lord, I want you to come right now so that I can encounter you. And I had to stop and realize that that needed to be my prayer in that moment. And I needed to stop reading, and I needed to start making that a priority. The rest of the exhortation just blew me away and changed my faith and my love for the poor and for the church. And and yet, those words were the ones that still stand out to me most. That we need to invite Christ into our life so we can encounter him. The subtitle of this talk is quieting the noise to meet the God who longs for you. And I want to go next into the last part of that, the God who longs for you. We need to encounter Jesus, not because it's just something we have to do, but because we have a God who longs for us, and he longs to have a relationship with us. The word long, longing, like that's a deep word. There are a few things that I really long for. But that is, like, that's weighty. And what amazes me is that the catechism to me says it in even more of, like, a, um, a weighty word, a weighty um, phrase. And he, it says, whether we realize it or not, prayer is the counter of God's thirst with ours. God thirsts that we may thirst for him. God thirsts that we may thirst for him. Our God, the God of the universe, who created all things, thirsts that we would thirst for him. He doesn't need us. God is God no matter what. God is infinite. He's all-powerful, all-knowing. He doesn't need us in any way. And yet God chose to create you and to create me. We don't add anything to God. He is God with or without us. And yet he chose to bring us into this world and he chose to long for us and to thirst for us I I think for me and it might be different for you but I really understand this idea of God loving me I I don't question the fact that God loves me and a part of that comes from from my family I I know how much my parents love me I've never questioned my parents love for me but sometimes I question whether God wants me and I question whether he longs for me whether he desires me And a lot of that comes from my own background. I was uh, the baby of three, and my sisters are two, two years apart, and then I'm five years apart. And I don't know when I learned this. I don't know when it was that God or that my family or someone said something about this to me, but I feel like I've always known it. But I found out as a young girl that the reason my parents found out they were pregnant with me was because they were going into the doctor so my mom could get her tubes tied. And so I have, since a little girl, have known that I wasn't wanted. I've known that I was loved. I never questioned that I was loved, but I always questioned whether I 
was chosen or wanted. And what this says to me is that my God wants me. He not only wants me, he thirsts for me. There have only been a few times in my life where I've been really thirsty. But when you are really thirsty, the only thing you want is water. And you want to drink that water. You don't even want a beer, usually. You don't want something, something else. Like, you don't want soda. You want water. And that water is what's going to quench that thirst. Most likely, if you want a beer, you're not actually thirsty. Okay? So, if you're thirst, if God's thirsting for you to thirst for him, that means the only thing that's going to satisfy him is you. And we think often like, okay, well, God's talking about everyone, but the reality is he's talking very specifically to me, and he's talking very specifically to you. So the whole thing that we can't even make sense of all the rest of this idea of quieting the noise, we can't make sense of any of that if we don't first realize that God thirsts for us. So if you've never really sat with that, if you've never really um, taken that and thought about what that means in your life, then I challenge you tomorrow or the next day to sit with just those words that God thirsts that you would thirst for him. He longs for you so much. He desires you so much that he wants you to desire him and he wants you to want him. So then we get to this idea, though, like, how do we quiet the noise? And in our world, quieting the noise is very hard. How many of you, would you guys agree that quieting the noise is very hard? We're busy constantly, right? We have work. Some of you might have kids. We have education, so we have classes we have to take. We have friends that we need to take care of and we need to hang out with and spend time with. We have a million things we need to do. And not only do we have all these things we need to do, we are constantly surrounded by social media. And that's a different thing than in the past. In the past, we didn't necessarily have our cell phones with us everywhere that we went. I was 10 minutes late today to, my, to visit my friend, and I texted her to tell her I was going to be 10 minutes late. Had that happened when I was in high school, I would have just been 10 minutes late, and she would have had to figure out that I was 10 minutes late, because I would have had no way to tell her I was going to be 10 minutes late. We constantly have things. We have things that are going. We have sounds. We have, like, music going all the time. I am a huge Netflix fan. I have had Netflix for about four years, and I have gone through far more series than I should have gone through. And I don't mean seasons. I mean series. So I can tell you all about The Office. My newest, like, love is parenthood. Um, I'm, like, so sad it's leaving, but since probably the fall I've gone through the entire series to catch up to the last episode that is going to be coming this week I have gone through Parks and Rec I like have a huge celebrity crush on Ben Wyatt um I like we I've gone through Netflix I also I have a hearing loss and so I have these headphones that are like massive headphones so that's how I can hear the TV, like, at the appropriate level when I'm watching with other people. So the beautiful thing for me is I put those headphones on, and I can be anywhere in the house and hear the TV. So what I do is I turn the TV on, put the headphones on my head, and then I get ready, or I clean the dishes, or do something. So no matter what, I can hear Netflix. This is not a good thing. I'm not suggesting that you do this. I'm telling you, it's a very negative thing. But that's our life. Like we have an iPod in our ear or we're talking on the phone or we're playing playing trivia crack. I don't know if you guys have started that, but that's my newest addiction. And I hate the game. I suck at it. Like suck big time. Like I think I've won like two out of 20 games. 
and yet I play it constantly. And so this is kind of the world that we're in that I think is different than the generations before us. The generations before us didn't always have something with us all the time. I've made the decision that at 9 o'clock I'm going to start doing my prayers, getting ready for bed, like no more going on the internet. But then this sits next to my bed and I think, oh, I'm just going to check Instagram one more time because just in case there's a picture that I want to look at before I go to bed. And it's like it's just there. And if I turn it off, then I don't have my own alarm. So it's like, well, I'm not going to turn it off because that's my alarm, so I have to leave it on. And so this is, this is our reality. But the reality is that if we don't start to quiet ourselves and our lives, we aren't going to be able to encounter Jesus. We can have a kind of like little friendship with him, like, okay, I kind of know who he is, but we're not going to actually get to know him and learn how to hear him. It's the difference between that person that you go and you talk to at work and you have surface level conversations every day with them, but you don't know anything about them. And that friend that knows the deepest part of your heart and that you don't even have to say anything and they know what you're thinking and how you're feeling. And so many of us, and I include myself in this, we're settling for that surface level relationship with Jesus and we're not diving into this deeper, more intimate relationship with him. When I was preparing this, I looked at two different books where the main things I looked at. I started with Jason Everett's book on John Paul II. It has, I read that over the summer, and I just was blown away. I was halfway through the book, and I forgot Jason ever had written it because the way that he storytells, it's like I was there with John Paul II. I was getting to know him. St. Therese is probably my very best friend in the entire world, and through reading that book, I felt the same way about John Paul II. And he uh, talks about this idea of silence and how important it is. And he says, the more deeply people develop within themselves in their interior life, the more prone they are to silence. Every great work, all holiness, is born in silence and recollection. Only falsehood wraps itself in a flood of words. Truth is brief. Let me read the ending of that again. Every great work, all holiness, is born in silence and recollection. Only falsehood wraps itself in a flood of words. I don't know about you, but I am constantly talking and constantly listening to things. I very, very rarely am just in silence. But John Paul II is saying that all holiness comes from reflection and silence. I honestly, and I would assume that most of you that are here, you have a desire to be holy. You want to strive for sainthood. You want to become a saint. And yet we keep ourselves busied up. We keep ourselves going, going, going. I prepared this talk. I spent the night at my parents' last night. I worked on this talk at home at my parents' house. And then I went and got my hair cut. And then I drove home, and I had 45 minutes. And I honestly put on a Netflix show while I got ready to leave to drive here. And I know, like, I had just written this. Like, I understand the importance of silence, and yet I still bury myself in words. Another reason that we need to go and be silent is that Jesus did it. Jesus was, like, we think about a celebrity who walks out of their hotel room, and immediately the paparazzi is there, following them everywhere they go. They, they have to try to hide themselves to not be seen. Jesus was like that. 
And I think when we read scripture, we forget that sometimes. We forget that everywhere he went, people wanted to be around him and to be near him. And so his life was busy. But Jesus was like, he knew that it was important that he went out and prayed and that he spent time with the Father before he did anything else. Father Michael Scanlon wrote this book, and I'm going to talk about it a little bit more. But this is, if you're going to go buy any book, this is the best book that I think you could buy. This is like my top favorite book right now. It's called Appointment with God. And it's this small, and it has literally changed my prayer life in the past six months. Um, But he says, Jesus prayed. He realized that at that particular time, it was more important for him to be engaged in prayer than for him to be ministering, preaching, or taking care of the more mundane, mundane things of life. We must be willing to rise early to pray, and we must take the initiative to find a solitary place. He realized that more important than our ministry, more important than the little things you have to do at home, the cleaning of the house, the buying of your food, those things are important. They're things we need to do. But more important than that is spending time with the Father. And yet there have been times in my life where I am so invested in ministries that I have no time to pray that I'm so involved in other things that I don't have 30 minutes a day to spend with my Lord. And what Father Michael is saying, I believe he's a living saint. He is saying that if that's how we busy our life, that we're missing out on the most important relationship we can have. We have this, this relationship of small talk instead of this deep relationship. I can tell you about the people at work that I have small talk conversations with. I can tell you certain things about them, but I can't really introduce you to them and tell you their heart the way I can about some of my friends that I have deep relationships with. So how do we do ministry introducing this Jesus when this is the Jesus that is going to actually bring people to the faith? So if we're not actually coming into quiet, as much as we're trying and striving for holiness, we're not going to reach it. Even if we're doing all the checklist things we're still not going to be entering and encountering this relationship with Christ. So that's the why. Like, we need to quiet the noise around us. We need to. But I'm a practical person. I have this group of friends, and they're a little different than me. They're all, the like, they are philosophy majors and theology majors, and they, like, have these conversations. One time we talked for two days like we literally hung out one day went home and came back about if there can be a perfect circle or not the answer was no um and I think that that was said the very first sentence and yet we still talked about it for two days about why you can't actually create the perfect circle even with technology um and so like that's how my friends think and that's their mind I'm a practical person so I don't want you to say like you need to quiet your life and then just be like okay good luck do that So how does that actually look? What do we actually do in our lives? Because I know where young adults are. I know that we are busy. I know that we have a lot of things to do. You can look at me and say, well, Lisa, you're 30 and single. You don't have kids. You don't have a family to take care of. You don't have a spouse to take care of and to be with. What can you really be busy in your life with? I can honestly tell you that there are two nights that I'm at home, usually a week. One of them, all my friends come over. We do a prayer dinner. And the other one... I don't know what I do. Usually I have to grocery shop or something else, so I make sure I have food in the house or clean the house. 
like we're busy. We have things that we're doing, whether it's work things or me going to visit my family or spending time with friends or people that I've mentored that I've watched grow from teenagers now to college students that I get to be with and, and guide in their faith. We're busy. We have, um, we have hobbies that we're involved in. We have things that we're doing. We have ministries that we're serving in. We're busy. And that's the reality. Sometimes I wake up and I go to daily mass at 7.30 and I don't come home till 9 o'clock at night. So what is it? How do we begin to quiet our life if this is how our life is? If we're busy and we're doing things. And then even when we are home, and I'll be honest, when I'm at home, I actually have a harder time spending time in prayer than when I'm busy and out in the world. When I'm out in the world, I make sure that I spend that 30 minutes. But when I come home, again, Netflix is calling my name. And I decide, like, oh, I'll just watch one show. And then it's only 40 minutes, so I can just watch one more. I haven't even spent an hour watching TV yet. And then I'm, like, four episodes later because it ended with that, like, the gun to his head. And I was like, I have to find out if he died or not. <laughs> and so, so we have this, like, even when we're at home, we're busy. Or we're on Facebook. Or we think of the emails we need to check from work. Or we have something else. Like, for me, honestly, when I'm at home, I have a harder time finding that 30 minutes of prayer. So, so what are we actually going to do? And I'm going to say it, and it's going to be like, yeah, right, Lisa, I'm never going to do this. The first thing I would say is we need to turn off and tune in. We need to turn off our devices, and we need to tune into Jesus. And I'm saying this to you, and it's a challenge to myself as well. We need to actually have a time. My, uh, the youth minister at my parish, his thing is he was realizing that he was on the computer or on his cell phone at night when he was with his kids and so he decided he would tell us at seven o'clock my phone goes off and I'm not going to return your text messages anymore and I'm going to be with my family because that's what I need to do I'm going to spend time with my wife I don't really have any pressing reason why but if we turn off then we can tune into the Lord easier I went to Mexico last July. We actually went for July 4th weekend. I don't know why we thought, like, July 4th, Independence Day, let's go to Mexico, leave the the country. Um, And so we went to Mexico. There's a group of us. My friend Kevin has a – his parents have a place down there. They have two trailers. So uh, we go down, and in Mexico where we were, we couldn't – we had no reception. We couldn't use our cell phones, and our cell phones were off. And so – and the, the hardest part for us is that we all, like, state things as fact that are actually just our own theories about things. And so usually we, like, pull our cell phones out and we check, like, that's not actually true. And then we're, like, Googling it to see if it's true or not. And we couldn't do that. So, but we were there and, like, our phones were just off. Like, we had no phones. We were in the middle of nowhere. There were, like, two other families that were close by. Otherwise, we had the ocean right in front of us, and the, that was, like, the rocky, like, waves splashing up, and then we had a beach down the road a little bit. It was beautiful. It was absolutely amazing. And so we're driving back, and we're talking in the car, like, how great it was that we were just so present with each other. We're so excited to be together. It was so nice not having phones that were distracting us. We weren't text messaging people. We weren't checking our social media things and then literally we get to the border we set the border for four hours because people are coming back from mexico yes everyone thought it was a good idea to leave the country for fourth of july and we sit for four hours at the border and we get over the border and we turn on our phones and all of our phones start vibrating and beeping and you have messages and you have this and you have that and check this thing and we all immediately went to it and matt was driving and matt was like well that took long And then 
Joe, who's in the back, was like, you know what? I'm just going to turn it off. I don't need to turn it on right now. And he turned his phone off. And it was, like, so convicting because he was like, I can wait till I get home to check these messages. Like, I don't need to do it right now. And that's, like, not our mindset. I'm going to challenge you to turn off your phone. If you use it like I do, put it on airplane mode. And then you can still be the alarm, but you can't use the Internet with it. You can't get those text messages. But literally turn off your phone sometimes and be present with God. And it might seem silly. Well, I'm just walking around the house cleaning. Why do I need to have the TV off or the music off? Because really, God wants to talk to us even in those moments. And if we would just silence things and be quiet, then we might actually begin to hear him. I don't know about you guys because, you know, young adults maybe are different, but my teenagers say to me all the time, I can't hear Jesus. I don't ever hear him, Lisa. And I'm like, well, have you ever shut up and listened? And they're like, well, I don't know what that means. I'm like, they're like, yeah, I sat and listened to praise and worship music. I'm like, yeah, turn that off too. Like, just literally be in silence. When I was in college my freshman year, was when I first came into my faith, my grandfather passed away. And I was living at USD, and my grandparents were in, LA, or in Long Beach. And my car radio happened to break down that time, like during that time. And he was in the hospital for a couple days. So I drove up and down from Long Beach back to school multiple times that week with no radio. And that was when I really first learned to talk to God. Because I had no, nothing else to do. So all I did was talk to him and ask him, what are you doing? I don't get this. And I had these conversations that I didn't know I could have because it was all I had. And I probably looked crazy because I was talking to myself. And it was before <laughs> cell phones, so it was before, like, the Bluetooth where everyone looks crazy. But that, it, like, took God turning my, my, like, breaking my car radio that I could actually have that conversation with him in a time where I really needed to talk to him. So turning off and tuning in. But then if you're like me, even worse than the Netflix is your own thoughts. When you actually finally get quiet, you think of all those things that you need to do. So I will like get into my silence and all of a sudden I have a million different thoughts like, oh, I completely forgot I need to do laundry tonight before I go on my trip tomorrow. Or oh, I didn't call my mom and tell her that I'm going to be there tomorrow, so I need to do that before I sit in silence. And we're like constantly like our thoughts go in a million directions, and we're thinking of all the things we haven't done or all the things we need to do or all the things we wish we had done. And that's okay. And that takes time for us to actually be able to begin to, to remove those thoughts. The best way to do it, though, is to come and to just bring those thoughts and offer them to Jesus. Not to sit and dwell on them, but just to bring them and let him have it. And just say, here you go. Sometimes those things, though, are what God wants to talk to you about. When I was in college, I was at this time in my life where I was spending 20 minutes of silence every day. And I would go up to my room. I was living at home at the time. I would go upstairs and I would lay on my floor and I would just sit in silence. And I can remember going up there and I'd been doing it for a little while and I was really into One Tree Hill. You can see I'm addicted to TV. Um, I was really into One Tree Hill at the time. And so I was like laying there and I like knew that what was happening on this TV show was not moral. I knew that what I was watching wasn't good and wasn't fulfilling me in any way. And I laid down on the floor and I can remember hearing like in my own voice though, like my own head was like, why One Tree Hill? And I was like, I can't think about One Tree Hill right now. I need to be focused on Jesus. And so I like 
like pushed out the whole 20 minutes, was like, no, One Tree Hill, like stop thinking about One Tree Hill, think about Jesus. I left, forgot that I, that even happened. Come back the next day again, One Tree Hill, like, God, please help me erase these thoughts. Did this for a couple days, even, and I'm so embarrassed I did this. I honestly said out loud, get behind me, Satan. I don't want to think about One Tree Hill. (laughs) And then it hit me like, ah, maybe God is trying to talk to me about the type of shows I'm watching. And through that, and it took me like two weeks of prayer and a couple other things happening. God usually has to like smack me upside the head with a two by four. And... I stopped watching One Tree Hill. Friends was my absolute favorite show. I cut that out of my life for about four or five years. And I will tell you that I went, and I'll be honest, right now that's not where I'm at, but at that time in my life, it was completely cut out of my life. And when I would see an episode that made a joke about sexuality, I, like, got sick to my stomach. I went from not even noticing the joke to, like, sick to my stomach, have to turn this show off now. And, And I would never have ever made that choice on my own. It was only through silence. And it was only because I eventually realized that the voice that sounded like my own was actually God's voice. So don't be afraid of those things that he's saying to you in your own head. And don't be afraid of coming and being in a million different places. Just continue to offer those to God and eventually he'll take them. Or if he keeps them there, then maybe that's the thing you need to be dealing with in that that moment of silence. The other thing that we need to really be aware of, and this again comes with that idea that we already talked about, is that he is a real person. That he is a living God and he wants a relationship with you. Remember, he's thirsting that you would thirst for him. This isn't just some, some God from a story. This is a living God and he wants a relationship with you. He wants to talk to you. And he will. And some of us think, like, I've been praying my whole life and I've never heard him. And part of that is that sometimes we're waiting for this big, booming voice. We're waiting for this, like, almighty God, man voice that we've never heard before to come down and tell us what we're thinking. And I'll be honest, one time while I was at San Diego State University, kneeling in adoration, did I hear a voice that I believe was God's voice. Most of the time, that's not how I hear God. Most of the time, I hear him through scripture, through something my friends say to me, and then I have to sit and meditate on, through spiritual reading, or, like I said, it's the sounds like it sounds like I'm having this conversation with myself in my head. For me personally, the best way for me to actually like have that conversation is with a journal in my hands. I typically write in my journal what I'm saying to God and then what I feel like he's saying back to me. Most of the time, I'll forget that conversation for weeks. And then when I go back and read my journal, I remember, ah, oh, that's what he wanted me to work on. And so it allows me to go back and, and keep remembering the things that he's asking me to work on. If you don't have a journal, I highly recommend getting a journal. It's another thing that Father Mike will really suggest in his book as well. So you have a journal to show what you believe God's saying to you. And then the next thing and the last thing I want to talk about is this idea of actually setting an appointment. It's really easy to say like, yeah, okay, I'll spend time with Jesus tomorrow. But in our busy lives, if we don't set an appointment, it probably won't happen. If your best friend lived in another country and they were coming to visit, you wouldn't say, oh, good luck, I'll spend some time with you at some point during your visit. You would have a time and a place where you were going to meet that person and spend time with them. It would be a priority in your life. 
And if you're not making that same priority for the God of the universe, then there's something messed up in your priorities. Now, Father Michael suggests that you have like a time of day. So like you wake up in the morning and you, you spend that time with Jesus or you have a time in the afternoon. For me, that's not realistic. When I was teaching, it might have been realistic because my days were more routine. Right now, my days are all over the place. I never know where I'm going to be, what time I'm going to work, um, who I'm hanging out with, what's going on. So for me, what it looks like is the night before, I have to think, where's my time with Jesus going to be tomorrow? I try to do as early in the day as possible because if I don't do it early in the day, then I'm more likely to not do it. But literally setting the time and place to have that appointment with God. That place does not have to be in a church. I personally, my favorite place in the entire world is the Blessed Sacrament Chapel. And I will do my prayer there as often as possible. I work at a church right now, so it makes it a lot easier for me to be able to do that. If you don't, Father Michael talks about a chair he has. I made, my grandma passed away this fall, and I have a chair from her house that I put in my room, and that's now my prayer chair. So that's where I do my liturgy hours in the morning and in the evening. And so having a place, it doesn't, you don't have to be kneeling necessarily, but a place that you know when you're in that spot, that is where you're going to pray. That's where you're going to build that relationship with God. And again, it's important to shut up and listen. And that's one of the things that I like love about this book if you have tried to do 30 minutes of prayer and by the end you're like checking your phone every five minutes or every like nine, five minutes, I check mine like every five seconds by the end. I'm like, oh, are we done yet? Are we done yet? This book gives you a structure for your prayer. So he goes through, he talks about the importance of starting with praise, of doing revelation and listening, of being real with God and coming to him with where you're at in repentance, and then going to petitions. And it gives such a structure, but it also allows for the movement of the Holy Spirit in time of listening. And honestly, since I've started doing this, I can do 30 minutes of prayer without even thinking about it. And, and I love that, that he has challenged me in the way that I say petitions now too. And that he doesn't, he says it's important to ask God for things but we should be asking him how he wants to fulfill those and then really praying for those things. So I highly recommend Appointment with God. It's on, if you're going to look into it, it's cheapest at Franciscan University's website because there's no, it's not being published anymore anywhere else, and so it literally costs like 20 bucks in some places, and it's five, $5 or less at Franciscan's website. But so this is, a, so again, just kind of recap. We are in a world that's busy. We're in a world that it makes sense that we're just kind of going and we're moving constantly. And God knows where we're at and he wants to meet us there. But we have to begin to make him a priority. We have to begin to make that time, that encounter a priority. Or else we're going to get through our life and we're not going to have built that relationship that we're looking for. And I know that each person that's here, you wouldn't come if you at least have a desire to start in that journey of holiness and that journey of striving to be a saint. And if you look at the saints, you will see that that is one of their biggest priorities. In John Paul II by Jason Everett, it said that he spent six to eight hours a day in prayer and meditation. If you know anything about John Paul II, you know that his life was busy and you know that he did a lot more than I do. And yet he spent six to eight hours in prayer. That's not where I'm at right now. If I try to spend six to eight hours in prayer, 
I don't know what I would do. I like honestly do not think I could handle it, but I hope that my life will continue to grow to where maybe one day my life will be in that place where I'm so in tune with the Lord that six to eight hours seems like nothing. But it begins with a small 30 minutes a day or even five if that's all you can fit right now. But it needs to be intentional. I just want to end us with a prayer before we go to questions. I'm praying in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord Jesus, I just, I thank you that you want us. I thank you that you thirst for us and that you desire to have a relationship with us. I pray, Lord, you said you would give us the strength and the courage to be a, begin to step towards that relationship, whether it's for the first time or for the hundredth time, that you would allow us to step towards a deeper understanding of who you are and the way that you love us. I pray that whatever evil spirits want to stop that from happening, that want to give us excuses of why we can't fit prayer into our life, why we can't fit 30 minutes of silence and, and being with you into the busyness of our schedules, that you would send angels to protect us from those spirits, Lord, and help us to know that it's you that wants to guide us, that your angels want to help lead us to your, to your feet so that we can truly understand what that relationship looks like. Pray all these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. So questions? If there's questions. <laughs> Does anyone have a question? Or I can give you questions. Any questions? No? Just go with giving the questions. Okay, so we have questions. Carrie's going to pass them out to you. Um, again, I'm a practical person, so they're kind of practical-type questions, and I'm asking them, looking for practical answers. The most important thing is to have community to support us, and that's part of the reason why you come here, because you're looking for community. So if you actually tell someone, I'm going to commit to this tomorrow, then they might actually text you and say, hey, did you do that thing tomorrow? Uh, or today. So I strongly suggest actually talking about what is it going to look like in your life. So number one is what are the distractions in your life that stop you from encountering Jesus? The second one goes with the quote from the catechism. It says, the God of the universe thirsts that you may thirst for him. What is your response to hearing that? How does it make you feel? And then number three, what is one practical way you can make it a priority to encounter Jesus this week? Not like the rest of your life, but this week, even more specifically, tomorrow. Jesus.